Come on down here because, like I said, Owen Hart's pitch is right there on the old deer's ass, and that's where we're headed. Watch that step, it's a doozy, and if you fall, I'll beat that out of you. From Television City in Hollywood, this podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. Discretionary viewer participation is advised for the following professional wrestling exhibition. Due to the coronavirus pandemic, greetings from Allentown is not taped in front of a live studio audience. Welcome to episode 170 of Greetings from Allentown. I'm your host, Peter Winston. Today, going to go back to the year 1997 for some pre-Attitude Era action. I guess Vince hasn't made the speech yet, so it's not officially the Attitude Era, although certainly there are elements that are definitely in place at this time. Maybe not like the tits and ass that you'd see a lot later on, but, you know, certain elements, more edgy storytelling. And this is WWF New York from September 6, 1997. I had said September 5th last week, but that was the Friday night's main event that I have burned into my brain. This would be effectively the same thing as Shotgun Saturday Night with a few New York things thrown in there. The reason for that is this aired on Channel 11, WPIX in New York, which is a super station. And they had to make it a little bit different to get around syndication laws with super stations it's kind of a long story but it's the same reason i believe that wcw pro on wgm had to be branded as such because it was slightly different than the regular wcw pro show so anyway before i get into all that why don't i get in my plugs you can email the show greetingsvalentine at gmail.com i don't you know what i don't even care about the facebook anymore i would very much like to delete my facebook because i freaking hate it i hate facebook uh, th- there's almost nothing I like about it. I can't think of one positive thing that Facebook has contributed to society. I look around, I'm like, this, most of the stuff on here is stupid. The only thing I ever post is for the show. So I, I, I don't even know what the hell I'm even doing there at this point. But anyway, Twitter is almost as bad. I mean, uh, pretty much just as bad, but you can follow me there at GF Allentown Pod for those times when I do tweet, you know, stuff about the show and various little information afterward. Twitter is actually just as bad. I mean, it's a freaking absolute cesspool. But at the very least, you're only getting 280 characters at a time shoved in your face versus the stupid meme people on Facebook. Oh, yeah, there's memes on Twitter. But like, I think Twitter, it's more easily avoidable for whatever reason. Like Facebook, like, Yes, they both drill down into your data, but I won't even, ever since I got this new laptop, which is fabulous, by the way, I won't even log into Facebook on this computer. Like, I, I think I logged in and then immediately logged out because I don't want Facebook, you know, spitting back advertisements. I mean, I'm not turning into Ron Swanson here. I understand that there's a certain thing that, you know, certain little bit that goes with that. But for God's sakes, Facebook, you are just absolutely the worst. I don't know why the hell I'm there, and quite frankly, I, I would like to 
delete my account except for the fact that it's really just to promote the show and I know many of you may only be on Facebook and not on Twitter. Frankly, I would recommend being on neither because, as I said, both of them are absolute garbage and both of them are cesspools that have basically led to a race to the bottom for our society as a whole. But maybe I'll get into that in, in a little bit. Did I actually intro the show? Yeah, okay, WWF 97. It was it was the second weekend I was in college, you know, well, all that, rough first semester. I mean, I'm kind of going away from my notes here because I really dislike social media. Oh, and by the way, this is the last show that you'll be hearing Greg's Mountain on the Pro Wrestling Only feed where you may be listening to it. If you are... Be sure to subscribe to Greetings from Allentown on iTunes or whatever podcatcher you might be using. I don't know if it's Apple. I know Apple has data collection policies, but at least you can go in, I think, and set some of them. Unlike Facebook, which just seems like unbelievably evil. Like, is is Mark Zuckerberg a good guy? I know that I know that Jack What's His Nose for Twitter. He he's a he's a real shithead too. So basically, they, they all suck. And I don't know what the hell I'm doing on it other than to promote this podcast, which, oh, by the way, like five weeks ago, I had this extended rant where I don't really care how much I grow my audience. If you're listening to this, thank you very much. I appreciate it. This is a nice little exercise for me once a week. It's probably the only reason why I even watch wrestling at this point. I don't. I can't remember the last time I put on the WWE Network to actually sit down and watch. Oh, I'm gonna watch an episode of Mid Atlantic. I love Mid Atlantic, as you could tell from listening to this podcast. I've I've done more of those episodes more recently. I love watching Memphis, but of course Memphis isn't on the network. That's on YouTube, so that one doesn't even count. So I'm, I'm thinking about just killing off my network subscription. Like, why do I even care? Like, I didn't watch Money in the Bank. Who who gives a shit about, oh, we're going to climb up through this, but we're climbing the corporate ladder. Oh, Rey Mysterio got thrown off a building. It's such such absolute garbage. Like, it, it's such, tr- I mean, give me a freaking break. How are, you, how are you attracting anybody new to watch this? Hey, let's let's appeal to the same 400,000 people who watch NXT every week over freaking Guy's Grocery Games, which, oh, by the way, also draws more than AEW. But I'm not going to you know rip on AEW too much. In fact, my scorn is pretty much reserved for the company that's standing. But then again, I'm not really watching much of it anyway. So it, it really doesn't matter to me other than the $10 a month that gets taken out of my bank account since March of 2014, I think it was, because I think I, I think I waited a month to make sure that the network was going to be fine, and then I signed up for WrestleMania 30, and then here we are six years later, and God forbid we put Superstars or Challenge on there. Oh, yeah. Oh, we're going to put Superstars on there from 1992. Oh, great job. Way to put, like, the year that people stopped giving a shit about your product because of all the scandals of diddling kids and steroids that just infested your business. Give me a fucking break, WWE. Jesus Christ. You, you are just the worst. So, anyway, this is WWF New York. This is aired on WPIX 11. And uh, I believe it was to get around the syndication rule. I, I don't know. I probably said that earlier. Like I'm, I'm losing my freaking mind here, because a uh, lot, lot of, lot of things kind of anger me. Uh, one, one of them was not being able to see my good pal Keithy on Sunday 
while social distancing and also wearing a mask, which, by the way, that's not a political statement, wearing a mask during a public health crisis, and anybody who's like, oh, you liberal pussy, why don't why don't you go fuck your cousin, okay? I'm so fucking tired of your own the libs shit. I don't give a fuck what you think about the libs. Get the fuck out of my face. And why don't you drive your pickup truck off a fucking cliff? Jesus Christ, I'm losing my voice here. So anyway, GFA Live with Keithy earlier this week was on the June 13th, 92 edition of Worldwide because our overlords at WWE had the original edition of Worldwide taken off YouTube that, well, I have to admit that the person violated every copyright law in the book, but that's but that's all well and good. He got away with it for six months, so we had to come up with something else, so we, we watched that Worldwide, which saw Steve Austin winning the TV title back from Barry Windham, the opposite of the original show that we were going to watch. And another thing that pissed me off, that now I, I finally got a haircut the day that I taped this, which which is Tuesday. Now, here in this state, in Massachusetts, they had opened hair salons, I believe, on, you know, on a limited basis. Got to follow all the protocols. Everybody knows the rules because it's kind of like the breweries. Like, they wanted to follow these rules and regulations because this wasn't allowed before that you could go in and pick up beer like that and, and all that. So we don't want to screw it up. Same for hair salons. We don't want another outbreak. So I go to Supercuts. I don't need anything fancy. I go up to Pelham, New Hampshire, which is funny because I crossed state lines for it, and I could have done that before, but I wanted to wait for Massachusetts to open so that maybe there wouldn't be as much of a you know wait for an appointment at the one in New Hampshire, which is the one that I usually go to anyway because it's still fairly close to my house. So I made the appointment for noon on Tuesday, which you know I left during my lunch break at home and I was in and out of there in about 10 minutes and it was lovely and I thought well wow you know and they took care of everything in there they had sanitizer all over the place like you know instructions like you have your mask on but hold your mask to your mouth when they're doing like you know the area of hair around your ears I thought it's pretty pretty good that I mean they had everything perfectly in line and then I walk out of there and I mean, supercuts, it's it's like 18 bucks or whatever. So I gave them 40 bucks figuring, well, I was budgeted to have a haircut at some point during this, probably two and a half months ago that I never ended up getting. So now my haircut budget, I guess, is back to even. And I walk outside and this is New Hampshire, of course, well, certainly one of our worst states. I mean, uh, the Alabama of, of the Northeast, if you will. And I see this piece of trash. He's smoking. No, I'm not going to give him a rap about smoking. Because, you know, you can't really smoke with your mask on. Of course, if you do smoke, that just makes you more uh, likely to perhaps contract or have COVID-19 do worse things to you because you're actively weakening your lungs. And his trashy wife slash girlfriend is there with him. Okay, fine. But when I see the 80-year-old woman walking out of the Sovereign Bank with no mask on, now, I know it sounds weird. Well, Pete, you're yelling at somebody who's not wearing a mask coming out of a bank? What, what they might think it was a stick-up. Yes, I'm sure during the public health crisis that the elderly woman is going to go in there and stick up the fucking joint. She's 80 years old, and she's not wearing a mask in the middle of all of this. Now, I'm not going to, like, stop my car, honk at them, and be like, hey, what the fuck are you doing? Um, 
excuse me, you know, what the hell? Do you have somebody who could put a cloth over your face? You're 80 years old. Now, this is all an estimate. I'm, I'm just kind of looking at this woman and sort of comparing it to my own mother, who is roughly the same age. And it's all a bunch of bullshit. Because if this woman is going home and is going to watch, well, not to not to point fingers at anything, but there are certain programs and certain personalities that you see on TV who have decided that wearing a mask is a political statement or more accurately, not wearing a mask is a political statement. Oh, yeah, we want the pandemic to magically end and help the economy, but fuck you, we're not going to do anything to help towards that end because go, 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 freedom guns, I fucked my cousin. I mean, give me a fucking break here. What the fuck are we doing as a society? I've been doing this podcast now for over three years, and I made a conscious decision very early on that I wasn't going to use F-bombs a lot, not to be you know, different or pious or any of that sort of stuff. Because if you listen to me talk in everyday life, this is much more what I sound like than what I usually am on the podcast. A lot more measured and, and, and all, all that kind of shit. But I've, I've fucking had it up to here with these people who, just, oh, we, let's just do whatever the fuck we want. I'm, I am fucking sick of it. I mean, I, I'm fucking fed up with all of this bullshit. And don't, don't try to tell me that, oh, I'm some sort of fucking pussy because I wear a mask in the middle of a fucking pandemic. Fuck you. Fuck you. This is it's stuff like this is why I should start carrying that baseball bat in my car, which I used to do all the time. And then I thought, well, maybe that would be a bad idea if I were to provoke an altercation. That, that, wouldn't, that wouldn't be good. But now, uh, everybody is just... Uh, to coin a phrase, unmask themselves as a complete fucking a-hole. I mean, <laughs> I mean really? Like, th that's literally what they've done. So yes, WWF 1997 is what I'm supposed to be talking about here. And, you know, I, I, I could. I could also talk about other stuff in wrestling, like, hey, how about that Japanese woman's wrestler who fucking killed herself because she got cyberbullied? Oh, isn't that wonderful? Don't you love social media? How, how good are we as a society to other people? Like, oh yeah, yeah. And then we all vow. Oh, we're going to do better next time. Be best. It's like, you're like, look who's running the be best campaign. And then look who's, look who's closely associated. Look who's sleeping in the twin bed next to the woman running the be best campaign. I mean, give me a break. What the fuck is this shit? But like, oh, but the, she she killed herself. And, whoa, we, we have to make... No, it's now been probably about a week since that happened. And it's now in the rearview mirror. And everybody's just going to fucking carry on like they always have. And, and, it, and it's such fucking bullshit. It's just, like, it's just like a school shooting. You would think that maybe, 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 you know, fully automatic weapons or whatever the fuck it was that that fucking prick who shot up a bunch of first graders in elementary school maybe maybe we should limit you know the amount of ammo or the power of a gun something no 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 those 27 or whatever it was first graders gave their lives for our freedom perhaps even the freedom of the guy smoking in that parking lot in new hampshire that i saw earlier today so yeah we're in trouble people like we we are in some deep shit 
kind of like what Vince McMahon said he was in when he went to Bret Hart around this time in 1997. He said, yeah, Bret, remember that 20-year deal that I signed you to last year? Well, I'm going to fuck you on it, and uh, I'm going to let you go to WCW so that they can then fuck you, and then I'm going to murder your brother by uh, total and utter gross negligence. I'm not going to get into the dark side of the ring because, you know, other people can discuss that more. So it's just people who have actually watched that. I'm, I'm pretty, pretty friggin' angry. And I've got, uh, all right, so here, here, here's what's on this show today is, uh, of course, you got the gang wars going on. That would culminate at Survivor Series because after that point, you got Crush of the DOA leaving because he's pissed off that, Bret Hart got screwed like well that's the thing that's gonna fucking settle the uh, Monday Night Wars is Crush leaving and jumping to WCW and becoming Brian Adams who by the way I hear is a complete prick the not 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 Crush I mean the singer Brian Adams apparently one of the biggest pricks in all of the music business I heard that from somebody who has who who's a friend of a friend who has worked security for him anyway Savio Vega versus D'Lo Brown on this show is the leadoff match I mean at least it has D'Lo I mean, Savio's pretty good too. I'm not gonna not gonna kill the guy for that. I mean, he's certainly the kind of guy any pro- wrestling promotion should want to have. The greatest St- Steve Austin promo of all time. I should be happy to be covering this. I mean, Austin's about one third pissed off as I am. You know, recording this. Austin is pretty plenty pissed off though in that promo that they did down at his ranch. Owen Hart versus the Patriot, so that. USA, Canada, contrived bullcrap. Oh boy, I can't wait to talk about Del Wilkes. What a swell guy Del Wilkes is, especially on social media. He's so he's so kind to to other people, you know. Oh my God! And then they did like a personality profile on him because we we gotta have we gotta make people think that Del Wilkes is gonna beat Bret Hart for the second time in two months because we got we gotta move the WWF title down to the mid card because we gotta do we gotta do Sean and Undertaker for the first time. Which was a perfectly fine match and all, even though it didn't really have a finish because they had to do the Hell in the Cell, which didn't really have much of a finish either because you had to debut Kane. There's a light heavyweight match on this for some reason. I don't know. I got angry when this came on. I mean, look, Jerry Lynn, love you, but what the hell? What the hell is the purpose of this? You guys don't even have a title yet. Like, oh, here's the WWF light heavyweight match. Like, all right, great. Th- this is wonderful. All the fucking best guys are in WCW right now. But we're going to watch Steve Casey versus Jerry Lynn. What Wonderful. Why don't, why don't we just all go fucking, you know, beat off into a toilet or something? Oh, and speaking of, speaking of wank fest, it's Triple H versus Undertaker. A, a wank fest that would be pr- repeated for years and years to come. I mean, just, just two wonderful, wonderful performers. And human beings as well. I can only assume... I don't know them personally, of course. I mean, you know, how, how, how would I know, you know, Hunter Hearst Helmsley? You know, other than the fact that he came up through my area in independent wrestling. And I'm very sorry for that, by the way, rest of the country, even though, you know, I, I really can't take responsibility. So I don't know. Maybe I should go calm down something. I don't know. Is it is it Valium or Lithium that I have to take? Maybe I should look that up. Anyway, it's WWF New York, September 6, 1997. Referee Earl Hebner will uh, have to assert himself here. And it might be judicious to uh, not allow these other uh, faction members to remain at ringside. It's certainly a volatile situation. Listen to this crowd.
Very uncomplimentary chance. Your attention, please, ladies and gentlemen. Well, the referee has informed me that members that are not wrestling of the Nation of Domination and Los Boricuas must return to the dressing room. In the midst of my opening tirade, I forgot to give the information of when this was taped. Now, it was because of tennis on the USA Network that they had to move it to Friday. This is the only year where they had what was called Friday night's main event, the logo with the little cocktail glass with the olive, and the fact that they don't put it on the WWE Network. Uh, I was complaining about Superstars and Challenge, completely forgetting about this. Like They pretend that it's not Raw, but it's basically the stand-in for it. This was the Rosemont Horizon taped August 23rd, 1997. So, taped when Princess Diana was still alive, but she would be dead by the time it would actually air. Anyway, it drew 81.32 to the Rosemont Horizon, which doesn't doesn't feel like the greatest crowd, but in, considering it's the summertime, but maybe it is because it's the summertime. I mean, there's plenty of other stuff to do in the Chicagoland area. So, we got Savio Vega and D'Lo Brown up first. And D'Lo... Earlier in the year, he's had quite the rise from being the, quote, unnamed guy in the nation who was just kind of hanging around all the time. And now all of a sudden, he's a named guy. He was kept on by Farouk when he got rid of everybody else, including Savio Vega. And Savio with the Los Bariquas, gang wars along racial lines. It's it's not particularly interesting to me, the, the, the way that they did this. I mean, having factions fighting each other, yeah, that makes sense. But to just do them all along racial lines, like, oh, God, that's so freaking lazy. Now, like, Owen Hart joining the nation, that's interesting to me because I want to know why. And clearly it's because he was the black heart, and that was just the hidden meaning behind all of that. So Savio Vega, as I mentioned, he very useful guy, I think, to have in any wrestling promotion. Uh, yeah, you got Quang, and that was all silly, but at least it's a fun name to say. But when he becomes Savio Vega, he has that bizarre uh, you know, miracle run in the King of the Ring 95, which is all well and good. He, he obviously didn't win, but you know, a nice little underdog story that's completely forgotten because the pay-per-view wasn't that good. He got Steve Austin over for a bit, and a nud, you know, he certainly didn't propel him to main event status or either, but, you know, he, you know, put Steve Austin over on a number of occasions, including WrestleMania 12 earlier in, earlier in 1996. A likable ethnic babyface through the year. Kind of like Pedro Morales back in the day, but kind of, you know, fast forward to a new era of the WWF, like modernized, a veteran hand, if you will. But now the Los Bariquas, eh, it's very hard to get excited about some of these guys. And it starts with the costuming, which I've been complimentary for how they costumed Big Boss Man and other guys through the years. But they dress these guys like ice cream men. It's just terrible. Although I can't go in on them wearing the white pants because it's before Labor Day that this is taped. So it's, it's perfectly fine. The balkanization of the World Wrestling Federation continues unabated. And all the, but all the, when you think about all the gang, you know, all the factions, then all the best guys were in the nation. Yeah, Savio is a useful piece, but give me Rocky, comma, Farouk, and D'Lo over Savio any day of the week. I, I just like D'Lo for a variety of reasons. Farouk, Ron Simmons, you going to take Savio over him? I don't know about that. Comma, okay, maybe 
but he's a good family feud player, as I established a couple weeks ago. You want to keep Kama in, he could show up in the Papa Shango outfit at any moment. Of course, there was a rumor that he might come back as Papa Shango in 1997, but I'm kind of glad that they kept him the way that he is. And Rocky, the crowd chanting, Rocky sucks. Can you imagine The Rock now, it like 1997 Rock, trying to do what he was doing then, but like now in front of no audience, nobody chanting Rocky sucks? And you wonder why nobody cares with these empty arena things. And boy, does it bum me out? Like, I remember doing that empty arena match with Terry Funk and Jerry Lawler from 1981, back episode 119. Check it out in the archives. But holy crap, that's like the direct opposite of the boring crap that I'm seeing on a weekly basis, which I know I say I don't watch, but I catch bits and pieces here and there. I do have to cop to that. So everybody must leave ringside, as Howard Finkel said, as... Jim Ross promises the Steve Austin interview and that says that Dude Love will not be teaming with Stone Cold for the ta- with the tag team titles the next night. So it'll be a fatal four-way with completely different teams. In fact, the Headbangers will be substituting for the team of Dude Love and Stone Cold Steve Austin. At the beginning here, Savio stops on a leapfrog and D'Lo is going to do the leapfrog over and hits D'Lo right in the mush. So de- definite experience advantage for Savio. D'Lo is very, very young. I just love that D'Lo got kept by Farouk. It was like, yeah, I'm getting rid of everybody on the team. But, um, you know, you, last guy on the bench, I'm, I'm going to keep you around because I like the cut of your jib. But, hey, you know, it definitely worked out. D'Lo does the same thing on a leapfrog. Where he, he tries to hit Savio, but it gets blocked and <laughs> didn't quite work for him. Chop exchange in the corner, but as they're doing it, D'Lo's chomps, they're pretty good. But Savio, the crafty veteran from Puerto Rico, <laughs> he's he's laying a man. It's making that reverberating sound. Of course, the Roma, Rosemont Horizon, very good venue for wrestling. It sound just carries in there. Spin kick on the outside when D'Lo bailed out there and then Savio goes off the top rope and out to the floor onto D'Lo but it looks like he may have hurt his knee on it as they get back inside because D'Lo takes control as they go in to the commercial break and it's time to start promoting Ground Zero In Your House where we're now de-emphasizing the In Your House name The first incident was perhaps an accident Second assault was a monumental mistake. Because now there's hell to pay. There will be no mercy. There will be no remorse. Shawn Michaels. You expect me to cower down? Do you know who I am? The Undertaker. I will possess your soul. The first meeting ever. Stridex presents WWF Round Zero in your house. Live tomorrow on pay-per-view. It is interesting that they played the card of Shawn Michaels versus Undertaker for the first time on an In Your House, but as I said, the In Your House name was put after Ground Zero, a name that they clearly cannot use anymore. A couple of other changes as well. The price of the pay-per-view went up by, I think it was $5 for this one, in part because instead of being two hours like the In Your House was up to this point, it is now a normal three-hour pay-per-view. So... Once again, WWE giving a little bit more time. But that's okay in this case 
because it signaled to the audience of like we're, we're this pay-per-view is actually going to be a little bit more meaningful than in the past and by raising the price at the same time that you have this hot match with undertaker and sean well that's that's probably fortuitous timing the full commercial break block is this actually gets repeated later on it's starburst fruit twists which this ad is on like six times on this show final fantasy 7 which apparently was a huge deal but i don't know much about it i mean i was completely out on games other than like nhl 98 at that point stridex the snickers commercial where the guy paints chefs in the end zone yeah, i'll play that one a little bit later and castrol as we get back to the match savio with an irish whip and a big backdrop as delo gets chopped to the outside and remember how everybody got banned from ringside? Well, when that happens, you know that somebody's going to make their way down to ringside, going to sneak their way there. You get two heel factions. I guess more or less the Bariquas are heels. I mean, it's kind of hard to tell. I mean, nobody really cared about them all that much from what I gathered. Miguel Perez Jr. sneaks down, hits a power bomb on D'Lo on the outside, and when D'Lo is rolled back in. Savio drops the FU elbow, which I thought was funny. It was like the Sergeant Slaughter on Ultimate Warrior from Royal Rumble 91. And that's how he picks up the 1-2-3 as Rock and the rest of the nation make their way out. Rocky was there first. They're sending those subtle signals like, yeah, he's not the main guy in this group, but Rocky, he's a, he's a team player. He got out there first. But it was too late as the Bariquas escape through the crowd. Stone Cold Steve Austin will not be a part of the Fatal 4 matchup as we discussed at Ground Zero, but Kevin, that doesn't mean that Stone Cold's not going to be in Louisville, Kentucky. Well, my sources tell me that Austin already has his plane ticket all set. Not only that, Jim, he's very anxious to get to Louisville. Stone Cold has to hand over his portion of the tag team titles, and I know that Owen Hart is going to be shaking in his shoes the minute Austin gets in within a 50-mile radius of the place. No doubt about that. Ladies and gentlemen, our cameras traveled to Texas earlier this week to get Stone Cold's reaction to Commissioner Slaughter's announcement about the tag team title. In these past couple of months, I've watched a lot of basketball, and people have asked me, why don't you watch baseball and hockey? Well, it'll just remind me that I really miss those sports, so I'm just watching you know, basketball from the 80s because I, I feel a certain distance from it, but I appreciate it in other ways. So I'm going to tie this to Austin. I've watched stuff like Larry Bird against the Houston Rockets in the 86 Finals, Game 6, which he said is the greatest game that he ever played. Game 6 of the NBA Finals in 1980. Magic Johnson playing center, filling in for the injured Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, throws up 42 it gets 15 rebounds, 7 assists against the 76ers, winning the Lakers in NBA title. Great performances. Michael Jordan scoring 63 points on the 1986 Boston Celtics, the greatest team of all time. So with all that, I think, okay, the greatest thing that an athlete ever did. Yeah, Jordan had other great performances in Magic and Bird, but Stone Cold Steve Austin. Yeah, you could say, oh, it was this match or that match. But for me, it is the series of two promos that he did on the Friday night main events that <laughs> led up to this Ground Zero in your house pay-per-view that I will never forget as long as I live. It just goes to show that, hey, if you do personality stuff with wrestlers instead of throwing them in matches every week in the arena, you know, it could work. Obviously, we, we did not want Austin, certainly did not want his neck to be broken by 
one of the stupidest spots of all time, which Bret Hart says that the spot was Austin's idea. Austin says the spot was Owen's idea. It was completely stupid to do a tombstone pile driver. By the way, sit down makes it even more dangerous. To do a tombstone pile driver when the world champion at the time in the company, who's going to lose the title later that night, but the Undertaker, is his finisher is a tombstone. What, why are you using that? It, 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 that's the thing that's always driven me crazy. But Austin does these two interviews where he's at his house. Now, the week before on the Friday night's main event, Jim Ross had gone down there. And it was just kind of like a straight-up one-on-one interview where the funniest part was definitely, uh, there was one point, I guess, off-camera, Jim Ross he wiped his he had to wipe his nose. And Austin's like, don't wipe your nose. It really pisses me off. And then he starts talking again. And he's like, I don't smile either. <laughs> just some quality personality stuff along the same vein as the dr d david schultz you know when the gun goes off and when we meet his family which which i have to admit was a little scary so they go dateline victoria texas i always wonder where, where is victoria texas anyway it's uh, like i've never been to that part of the state it's kind of in the middle of a triangle between corpus christi which always gets flack for being one of the worst wwe crowds uh, I don't know. I've never really measured it, but that's what a lot of people say. San Antonio and Houston. I don't know if there's a name for that area, but just kind of looking at Victoria on the map, it's sort of like right in the middle, like equidistant from those three places. And immediately, Stone Cold, he, he answers the door. Like, the guy, it's it's kind of like a... <laughs> it's it's kind of like a Bang Bros video in some ways in that there's just one dude with like a camera... And we're just seeing Austin with the POV. Except this one's making me hard in different ways. What the hell do you guys want? Um, and more important than that, how the hell did you find out where I was at? We'd like to get your comments on the suspension. You want me to comment on my suspension? You don't look like Jim Ross unless you lost about 200 pounds. You don't look like Vince McMahon. If they want some answers, they should have sent someone with some authority. Don't be snapping no pictures. I'll take your little lens and shove it. You know what I'm talking about? You ain't got no reason to be here, man. You need to pack up and head back to Stanford, boy. You ain't got no business being here. You damn right. You better stop it. You got anything else to say? Because there ain't no reason you should be here. They suspended, they suspended me. They said I can't wrestle. Now they want to send someone down here on my time. And that's bullshit in my book. Do you agree with me? Well, it really don't matter if you agree with me or not. So what you need to do is pack your little carcass up and get the hell out of here. You know what I'm saying? Because this is my time. They suspend me and then they send you down here. You're some private detective or something? That's bullshit. Actually, just having the camera guy there by himself and not having Kevin Kelly or Jim Ross sticking a microphone in his face makes this a lot better, where it's Austin just addressing the camera, almost like an ECW-style promo. Uh, and by the way, I'm, I'm with Austin on this. Like, You suspend him, and then you send a camera crew down to his house, without presumably without telling him. I have the kayfabe hat as, on, as flimsy as it is in 1997. Like, huh. Like, that is, that is a little bit strange. Man, there's a lot of Dr. D. David Schultz and Stone Cold Steve Austin. And honestly, when I got to college, it, like I said, it was my second weekend there, I was starting to feel a lot like Stone Cold Steve Austin. And I was starting to feel a lot like I felt in the opening segment of today's show. Maybe not quite that pissed off, but still pretty kind of angry at the world with, you know, justified reasons. So he kind of he slams the door on the camera guy, Austin does, but then has a change of heart and says, you know what, 
I, I, I'm gonna let this is a good opportunity to let loose here. Well, let me tell you something. On second thought, once you just sit your little carcass down at that table, I'll answer every little question you got. Because if you're gonna waste all your time coming down here and bother me, yeah, I'll sit down and talk with you. Because I got a few little things I want to show you. A little care package Vince McMahon and the WWF sent me to get well soon. So you just go down there and sit down. I'll round my stuff up and I'll be right with you. But don't touch nothing that don't belong to you and stick it in your grubby little pocket. Because I'll whip the hell out of you, son. I'll be right out. Yes, I'm coming over here. Now what Austin comes back with is a crossbow and a FedEx envelope, which is funny because Steve Austin was memorably fired by WCW two years before this. While injured, by the way, in very similar circumstance to what we have here, he tore his tricep, I believe it was, gets fired via FedEx, famously. But he's also got a crossbow as well, like he's, like he's going to hunt the poor camera guy off the thing. But he's got better... <laughs> I guess that FedEx envelope must have triggered him because it's got some pictures inside. He's just gonna he's just gonna recite what he see. He's just gonna go off and it's hilarious. You're done with you look. Before we get started with anything, like I said, we're on my time, so we're gonna do things like I wanna do I wanna cover something right off the bat. It's a little care package that the WWF said old Stone Cold. Dub it get well soon. The biggest bunch of bull I ever heard. Did you get some camera work here on there. Best wishes, Jim. He couldn't even spell his own last name or he'd have put it on there, wouldn't he? Get better soon, champ. Vince. Yeah, piss off, Vince. Get well, Gorilla Monsoon. Yeah, right, Gorilla. Oh, and Art. See, no one signed these pictures. And I ain't no handwriting expert, I ain't no private detective, but the same person wrote every single one of those signatures because the office don't give a damn how Stone Cold's doing, and that's the bottom line. Ricky, come over here, man. Put all these pictures, strap them on that deer over there, we'll have a little target practice, and you put Owen Hart's picture right there on the deer's ass because that's exactly where it belongs. Hell, go do it. Please go do it. I gotta have something to shoot at because I'm getting a little pissed off here. Because what they did, they took everything Stone Cold has been fighting for away from him. The office suspends me. Why would you suspend Stone Cold Steve Austin when I didn't do nothing wrong? You sit there like you bump on a log. Hell, it's pathetic. Because what the WWF has done has kept me at home. I should be on the road each and every night defending the IC title, but no, I'm sitting on my ass because I've been suspended. I'm willing to wrestle any day of the week. Hell, I'll wrestle your ass right now. All you got to do is uh, go put on some tights and you know, just stay like that. I'll wrestle you when I get through talking to this guy. But the office pisses me off because they're trying to save their ass. They sent that little package to save their ass. They say, oh, we don't want Steve to sue us. We don't want him to own the WWF. The last thing I want to do is to own the damn WWF because that's got to be the biggest headache in the world. As far as Owen Hart is concerned, I'm going to get my damn payback on hell because everybody knows paybacks are hell. And when you dump Steve Austin on his damn head, you got another thing coming. Ricky, hold these damn rounds. I want to do a little target practice here. Oh, you got some time, don't you? Because you're on my time. You want to know what I do in my damn spare time? Hell, conditions are windy here. I alluded to this on last week's show that I was going to play the unedited version of this. Basically, the, the thing that aired on the Friday night's main event and not the one that was edited down for Shotgun, where they probably cut out about a minute and a half, two minutes of it. Like, the full YouTube video of this is about 5 minutes and 57 seconds, something like that. It's just gold from start to finish. Like, I think I'm pretty much getting into playing the entire thing. So the crossbow is out, and he's going to shoot all of the pictures that he's received, whether it's Vince, 
Gorilla, Jim Ross, who's stupid because he didn't write his last name. He doesn't know how to spell his own last name. And Owen Hart's picture is in there too, which is interesting in that, well, they don't care about him. Well, apparently Owen Hart did not call Steve Austin after injuring him, which is kind of, kind of a faux pas, I think, in any line of work. I don't care if you're working in like the coal mines or wherever. By the way, in coal mines, they have to wear masks, so I guess they're just a bunch of libtard pussies. But anyway, setting up these targets, kind of like the thing that Keithy was talking about uh, on last the last GFA Live, the Paul E. Dangerously dartboard thing that you would set up and you could throw darts at it. And now Austin's going to do that with arrows. When Austin says, The Office really pisses me off. All I could think of was season eight of The Office and how that pissed me off so much because Robert California is the one of the worst characters in the history of television. And something that Keithy and I, I learned on Sunday when I saw him, we vehemently disagree on. I didn't really confront him on it at the time, but I'm sure it's going to come up. So Austin is now... <laughs> he, he had the other guy just set up all the targets over there. And it's, it's time for him to start, I don't know, I guess this is, what, the archery event in the Austin games? Look at Vince McMahon right there in the old kill zone. The brains of the WWF, hell, I call him the ass of the WWF, but Owen Hart's presently got that spot occupied. Let's see what we got here. Oh, yeah, how you doing, Vince? Oh, you piece of trash. Give me another arrow, Ricky. I'm hot. I'm on fire. Look at Jim Ross. Can you get a close-up of that picture of Jim Ross? Hell, he don't know his head from a hole in the ground. He ain't got a clue. There he is with hands up in the air. Get well, Jim. He couldn't even spell his last name. That's how bad he sucks. Oh, right there in the old privates. Give me another arrow, Ricky. I'm on fire. Gorilla Monsoon, the biggest jackass in the WWF. He calls himself a gorilla, but he holds like a jackass. I said it before, I'll say it again. Got your little dark cloudy glasses on. There you go, gorilla. Oh, right there in his damn heart. This is funny for three completely separate reasons, the three arrows that he shoots. Number one, Austin and Vince goes on and becomes this major feud for the next year and a half in the promotion. Which, which basically carries things to new heights, you could say. At this point, really, Austin and McMahon, you know, their interactions on screen are more like Austin's the angry guy and Vince is still announcer boy because he, he does yeah, he's outed as the owner, but he's not portraying himself as such on television. So it's funny to see him, you know, shooting the arrow at, Vin, at Vince. It, shooting at Jim Ross, like, he doesn't know his head. It, it is a weird picture of Jim Ross that they sent where he's just holding his hands up, palms to the sky, like, probably like, damn it, I got fired again, or, <laughs> or whatever the hell he's doing. And the, knowing that Jim Ross and Austin are very good friends makes it even funnier in retrospect. That probably made it easier for Austin to say those things. And... Also, Gorilla Monsoon, 
Saying bad things about Gorilla Monsoon is not something that you would hear on WWF television every day. I mean, who's going after Gorilla other than Vader when he was the president that one, you know, and he Vader bombs him a couple of times. Like nobody, nobody's taking a giant dump on Gorilla Monsoon the same way. But it's a he he calls himself the Gorilla, but he haws like a jackass. I mean, uh, he, he, even the lines are good. But now we still got the Owen Hart picture. It, Austin's got something very special for him. But he, so it's a different target. It's on the ass. It's on the jackass or the horse or whatever. So he's got to go off. Got to go off the porch. But the best part is the hilarious warning he's got for the camera guy. <laughs> Which it's hilarious because he's so angry about it. But he's basically saying the same thing as Ned Ryerson in Groundhog Day. Like I said, Owen Horse pitches right there on the old deer's ass, and that's where we're headed. Watch that step, it's a doozy, and if you fall, I'll beat that out of you. Watch out for that first step, it's a doozy. <laughs> if you listen really close to what Austin says, he's going to beat the shit out of him if he falls, the camera guy is laughing, and the camera like shakes a little bit, consistent with how, how it would be if you're carrying a you know handheld camera and you're, and you're laughing at the same time because that is so freaking hilarious like the fact that this redneck texas like it's a doozy <laughs> the same way as freaking ned ryerson i mean this this is just incredible but he's still got the owen hart thing to shoot come on over here boy drag your little camera over here's the last shot of the day hell to take us from close range Owen Hart holds up his little slammy like he's some kind of big shot. He's the biggest piece of crap I ever laid my eyes on. And if he was here in person, I'd put about a dozen arrows right through his ass. There you go, Owen, you piece of Oh, right there in the gizzard, brother. He ain't gonna last long because Stone Cold's on fire. And the bottom line is, whether you come here to my house, whether you go to Ground Zero, Stone Cold is gonna be at Ground Zero, and that's the bottom line. Ain't no way that they can keep me out of it. Come here to forfeit the belts, the biggest bunch of BS I ever heard of in my life. I'll give up the tag titles if I want to, but the bottom line is the Intercontinental belt is gold to me, and they can't take that from me, and that's the bottom line. As far as I'm concerned, this is over with, so get the hell out of here. What an absolute tour de force this was. He was a badass. He was hilarious. This thing is everything I could have wanted. In many ways, it's kind of like one of those New Jack promos from ECW where he's terrifying me. He's a badass, but also hilarious at the same time. You know, maybe giving shout outs to Juice Simpson or whatever. But this is just incredible character work by Austin who is just absolutely in the zone at this point. And yes, obviously it would have been preferable if he didn't break his neck. But if he if he didn't break his neck, you wouldn't have gotten these kind of things. Like, you wouldn't have kept him out of the arenas for this long. You would have kept him away for that Friday night's main event. It would have put him on TV as much as possible. But yet, by keeping him away, you give him like this six-minute playground to create this hilarious promo that... 23 years later, I still remember so fondly and is 1,000% the reason why I'm doing this show. 
As we all know, Brian Pillman is rude, lewd, and obnoxious, but after Ground Zero, he could have total control of Marlena for 30 days and nights. Pillman's indecent plans are exposed on option three of the WWF superstar line, The Ross Report. Just call 1-900-737-4-WWF. The call costs a buck 49 per minute. Kids under 18 must have parents' permission before calling. I have to admit, that bums me out after the euphoria of the Austin promo because it just makes me think of Brian Pillman. This is the last pay-per-view match that he ever had because he turns up dead in the day of bad blood in your house, the October pay-per-view. He would have only been 58 years old last week. May the 22nd would have been his birthday. I can, I can imagine that dark side of the ring, considering the topics that are out there, there'll have to be one on Pillman for season three. I mean, I know I know that they have to save stuff from season to season, and you'd have to think that it would be up next. I mean, you get the book Crazy Like a Fox that I don't think I ever finished it. I think I read like two-thirds of it, but I read it in the wrong order. So anyway, I'll just move on to hopefully a less tragic figure. Owen Hart. Oh, shit. Anyway, from the Friday night's main event on September 5th, Owen Hart took on the Patriot. And they show Owen come to the ring, and he is so great at bickering with the fans. He was spending a lot of time doing that. And once they get inside the ring, the Patriot, who, of course, his theme song is the Kurt Angle theme. It's nice to not hear you suck during it because, you know, it's it's, a, it's an okay song for a Jim Johnston joint. Do you get a flag wave off between them? I think Nikolai Volkov did that with General Adnan once with the Iraqi flag and the American flag. But honestly, when you think back to this angle, and I'll say it again, who, who can really hate Canada? I mean, is it a perfect country? Absolutely not. But Canada is more willing, I think, to have a reckoning with their own flaws than a lot of other places, like, say, the United States. I mean, it's not like I'm going to run up there and, you know, change my passport over to a Canadian passport. After all, they only have one major league team. Actually, they don't have any major league teams because there ain't going to be any baseball this year. I hate to break it to all of you. And it's 100% the owner's fault. If you're going to side with the owner's on this like pl please don't talk to me about this is the point is made by i don't know if he's doc Hendricks or michael hayes at this point i'll just call him doc Hendricks. Yeah, whatever there's no better way to prepare for facing bret hart at in your house ground zero than to face owen hart since he just does all the same moves that bret does except backwards and we started a hip toss and a slam by the patriot who just feels so out of place like it's he's just parachuted in oddly enough, for this angle to be the USA rah-rah guy against the Hart Foundation, the Canada and rest of the world group, because they're popular in the rest of the world too, but they're Canadian pride. It's just kind of a head-scratcher. Of course, WCW would do the Team Canada thing years later, but that was long after everybody stopped giving a shit. Back elbow by Owen to get out of a hammerlock, but then I dropped toehold by the Patriot, who is an okay professional wrestler. Going back to Global, where I, I enjoyed his work. He was one of the reasons why I would watch Global. But mainly I watched because it was a thing that was on TV pretty much every day. And because Del Wilkes, the man under the mask, played college football at South Carolina, Jim Ross is going to be sure to mention that. Spinning heel kick by Owen finally gets some sort of long-term control and starts working the left leg. And then the side backbreaker, although he does do it to the same side as Brett does. So, But 
what Owen is doing makes sense because he's working on the leg, he's working on the back, he's setting up for the sharpshooter. And a slam and a second rope elbow gets a two count as this match is, of course, going to go into a commercial break. And the first commercial is, I can't believe I didn't buy this because I, I bought a few VHS tapes at the time. Because it would have been useful to have in college because I would have watched the shit out of this. The Cuz Stone Cold Said So VHS. He hates being edited. Somebody's going to get there. Well, he's sick of being told what not to say. It's fine. And he ain't going to take shit anymore. Why, you hit the nail right on the head, son. Cuz Stone Cold Said So. The video. No lights, no sensors, just the stone cold truth. Witness all the cold-blooded fury that they can't show you on TV. To order, call 1-815-724-1161. The bottom line price is $19.99 plus shipping and handling. Order now. From the point where I started watching again, which is the beginning of June of 97, there was one Monday night where Nitro was in Boston and Raw was in Hartford, the infamous Brett and Sean fight in the locker room. I think it was the day after King of the Ring. And I, I was an Austin guy from that point forward. And, and how could you not be? I mean, pretty much everybody was. you know, through Just from the promo earlier and all the other stuff that he was doing. The feud with The Rock later in the year where he throws the belt off the into the Merrimack River, which, by the way, runs about a half mile from my house, which I don't think it ever floated down, but if it did, I would love to pick up a 97 Intercontinental title, even if it was a little bit devalued at that point. But there came a point where you get sick of Austin, where somebody else, mainly the aforementioned Rock, would cross over and become my true top guy, the person that I believe in. And I think that moment was around SummerSlam 98. There's Rock in that ladder match, and then he had the little face run after in September and October, where, well, maybe not a full face turn, but then leading up to the Survivor Series, and he's doing some tremendous work. And we'd already seen all the stuff with Austin. Yes, he hits McMahon over the head with a bedpan, and that, that's hilarious, but... We'd seen several months of Austin and McMahon. Rock was something fresh. So that's where it kind of crossed over for me. But because Stone Cold said so, that would have been all early Austin. It's like it's like the greatest hits album, but only like the first three albums of, of Austin. That's what it would be. So the full commercial break, this, this one's a little bit more. Actually, a lot of these commercials are exactly the same. There is a Baby Ruth commercial that's 15 seconds that's not elsewhere on the show which is nice. There's an ad for the movie Wishmaster, which was the first in a series from, like, that that horror film had, like, uh, several sequels, it seems, but this was the, apparently the only one that Wes Craven was associated with. Final Fantasy VII, the Snickers Chefs one, again, and Stridex, yes, another pimple-popping ad on a wrestling program. I can't believe it. So it was a very long commercial break, and we get back to the match finally. See how this finishes. Vertical suplex by Owen goes up top, hits a missile dropkick, gets a two and a half count, playing about a slow count. Sharpshooter attempt. Please note that he does it on the opposite side that Brett does. So you have to keep that in mind if you're scouting Owen in order to scout Brett, and, you know, to do that. But Patriot ends up kicking off on that one. 
Patriot gets the Ted DiBiase Buzz Sawyer Power Slam. I give it a six and a half out of ten. And he hits some left hands as the as Del Wilkes is a southpaw. It's probably pretty much the only left part about Del Wilkes that exists. Big drop kick by a rather large man. He's like 275 pounds, so I gotta say I'm a little bit impressed there. Corner whip, clothesline, and a back suplex by the Patriot, reminding us that indeed he is an all Japan pro wrestling guy. But he's going to hurt his tricep here in the WWF, and that's going to be it for his career. But yes, he was in All Japan in spring of 97, right before he came to the WWF for this odd little run. Vertical suplex try, but Owen comes over the top, lands on his feet, and kind of <laughs> puts his leg in a position, you know, so that the Patriot can grab it, and he hits the Enziguri up to the top rope, but then Owen is caught and slammed because apparently he's been watching a lot of Ric Flair matches recently. And this leads to the British Bulldog just running in out of nowhere for the DQ. Bret Hart follows up, which you'd think Bret would be the first guy to run in. But, you know, he's the El Jefe of the group. He doesn't have to be the first guy down there. Kind of like how Rock was the first guy in the nation. It's like Farouk wasn't the first guy there in the opening match on this show. So they put the boots to the Patriot pretty good. Now... A sight for sore eyes. Babyface Vader comes down to even the score, even though it's three on two. I mean, Vader is the size of two guys. And he whips Brett into the Uncle Slam of the Patriot. And we're kind of you know planting that seed. Like, oh, if he hits that on Brett, he could become the world champion. No, it's the freaking Patriot in the year is 1997. I don't care how much Vince McMahon is patriotic and all that. He is not taking the belt off Bret Hart and putting it on the Patriot. Although, given some future events, maybe he wishes that he had done that, but then the Patriot gets hurt, so it's all kind of irrelevant. As Kurt Angle's music plays, because that that's how, that's how professional wrestling works. Whoever did the last run-in gets their music played. Except in this case, shouldn't it be Vader who gets his music played? It's time! It's time! But, okay, I guess we get the Patriots music. Not the New England Patriots music, that would be... Bon Jovi, and not Patriot, which is the name of the Jack Swagger theme song, also the Cesaro theme song, when they were in The Real Americans. We roll right in to a personality profile on Del Wilkes, the Patriot. And I referred to him, you know, being left-handed and that being pretty much the only left thing that he does. I mean, what else are you going to do to, like, lift this guy to Bret Hart's level? Yes, he scored a fluke pin over Bret Hart at the end of July on Raw. And that's all well and good. But to now put him in this spot to be the challenger, maybe I was buying it at the time. But looking back, it's like, come on, really? But what's funny about this is that in the personality profile, they show a little bit of all Japan footage on WWF television. That's that's pretty unusual. The Patriots' stunning victory over Bret Hart a little over a month ago has propelled his confidence and his momentum. But Del Wilkes cemented his legacy as an all-American hero behind the mask long before his heroics in Pittsburgh. Driving the University of South Carolina to national prominence as an All-American guard, Dell became only the second consensus All-American from that school. The other Heisman Trophy winner, George Rogers. One of the ways to describe Dell Wilson is that he was All-American at the University of South Carolina. He certainly helped me win the Heisman Trophy. And uh, Dell Wilson is a type guy that not only was a great football player, but he can had the talent to go out and, and be a wrestler. And uh, he represented All-America as being the Patriot. 
same quality that Dale had on the football field, he brings into the ring. Except this time, Dale is the Patriot. He represents all of America. Although never one to turn his back on his country, Dell began his wrestling career overseas in Japan, where he achieved unparalleled success. George Rogers was a pretty big deal for a while. He's the number one overall pick in the 1981 NFL draft, but he was kind of unlucky in that the number two overall pick was Lawrence Taylor. So no matter how good he would have been in his career, he's not going to really be as big as Lawrence Taylor was revolutionizing the linebacker position and all that he did for the New York Giants, leading them to two Super Bowl victories. Although Rodgers won a Super Bowl in his last season with the Redskins in 87, he only had a seven-year career, which kind of goes to show that running backs... It's not wise to take them with high draft picks because they don't last particularly long, whether it be then or now. Especially in a cap era, it's not worth it these days to spend big money on a running back. But he did run for over 1,200 yards as a rookie in 1981, but he did suffer some injury issues and he also had issues with cocaine which i'm not gonna only rap on him because it's pretty much every athlete in the 1980s had some sort of issue so as we go through this they're talking to del wilkes but they're shooting because he's a mass dude they're shooting his face like like he's freaking wilson from home improvement where we can only see like half of it well it surprised me the way that i was received when i first went uh, because I'm coming in wearing red, white, and blue, and stars and stripes, and basically have dressed myself in the flag, the American flag. Uh, it's not limited just to this country. Uh, patriotism isn't certainly, uh, it's something that, that has no boundaries or no limits. Uh, people in Japan are just as proud of who they are and where they're from as we are. And so you learn that, that it's something that not only uh, is experienced by Americans, but by people worldwide. Ironically, it may be his patriotic appreciation which paradoxically fueled both his hatred and respect for the hitman Bret Hart. Certainly he has the right to his opinion and to the way that he feels. And I realize I'm not going to change his mind. I'm not going to change his opinion. But I wasn't going to stand by and let him continue to trash uh, our people and our way of life. And especially when he comes here to make his living. This is a country where he has made his fame and fortune, basically. Not Canada, but the United States. And I felt like somebody needed to take a stand. And it, I realized by doing that, I put a big bullseye on my back. We've faced each other one time. It's 1-0 in my favor, in my column. Uh, I'm sure he won't underestimate me at ground zero. I'm sure he'll be prepared. But I've beat him once, and it gives me the confidence to know that I can do it again. It's been done, it can happen again. Uh, that's kind of rich, the guy from South Carolina ripping on the dude from Canada for showing pride in his country. I mean, considering that South Carolina was the first state to bail, you know, before the Civil War. By the way, how did that turn out for South Carolina? I, I can't... Oh, right, you, you lost that one. But, yeah, okay. So, you're, you're this patriot, okay? And I know that there's this debate in this country about what constitutes patriotism. What's the importance of patriotism? I'd say it's caring about your fellow citizen, whether they believe in this or that or left-wing, right-wing, centrist, radical centrist. I love the people who call themselves radical centrists. Like, all right, all right, we get it. Yeah, you're cool. It's, it's wonderful, yeah. Uh, but somewhere along the line, 
patriotism became wearing a goddamn flag pin where oh if you don't wear a flag pin clearly you it basically it turned into that seinfeld episode where kramer doesn't want to wear the aids ribbon although that was a little weird because it was an aids walk i mean that that, that is that is a little strange because that was a charitable thing but that's kramer for you i mean any sort of ism you can definitely make arguments against but what patriotism truly is and maybe this goes back to my point that i was making earlier is to be to love your country enough to be a responsible citizen to care not just about yourself but also about your fellow citizen and their rights to life liberty and the pursuit of happiness I mean, I'm not trying to be freaking John Paul Jones here. And I don't mean the guy from Led Zeppelin. I mean the 19th century guy. Uh, I'm just saying here that perhaps it extends a little bit more than, I don't know, protecting your guns or not wanting to wear a mask. You know, patriotism. And it's about other people that you share this country with. On Sunday, September 7th, the World Wrestling Federation's In Your House expands to three action-packed hours. And the first 2,500 subscribers who order this pay-per-view spectacular and send in their cable bill as proof of purchase will receive an official WWF Live Events program guide and a Shawn Michaels pop-up piece. The mail-in address is WWF Ground Zero, P.O. Box 3857, Stamford, Connecticut, 06902. I never actually got a pay-per-view where if you mail in your cable bill, you get some sort of thing in return with proof of purchase. I mean, I'd like to think I should have been compensated for ordering the 1991 Great American Bash, but they just weren't doing that back in those days. Starcade 97, well, people were ordering that anyway. You didn't need the little hook to get people to do it. Like, in your house? Yeah, that's a little bit different, but... At this point, I mean, I would be back at school on Sunday night and wouldn't be ordering that or anything as it's the normal commercial break. You know what? I'm going to play because it aired six times on this freaking program. The Starburst Fruit Twist, which I don't remember ever seeing. I don't think that's something they make anymore. But I love Starburst candy as it is, and I particularly love Starburst jelly beans. But Fruit Twist... I really freaking hate it because I've seen this commercial too much. It's like the stupid Amy Schumer learns how to cook commercial on the Food Network. Oh, surfer girls. Hello. I am a fruit whiz from Starburst. Come nibble on me and boogie with my fruit juiciness. See my wiggle, my twist, my forbidden dance. Oish, oish. Fruit whiz from Starburst. Twist up the juice. Was this like some sort of reaction to Fruit by the Foot? I mean, I thought that was earlier in the 90s because I used to take that to school. It was Fruit by the Foot. And that other one that I used to get sometimes that was like Fruit by the Foot, but was a completely different product, I don't remember what it was, but I was always kind of ashamed to have it. But, like, why would you think you do better than the regular Starburst? And, by the way, the power rankings on those is cherry, strawberry, orange, and lemon, and I will hear no dissent on that topic. They're plugging, because this is WWF New York, the upcoming Raw at Madison Square Garden. Gee, I hope something big happens there. That would have been on September the 22nd. It's too expensive to run MSG now for the WWF. That's how you get ROH in New Japan doing a show there as they did in 2019, which I was fortunate enough to be in attendance for. 
the arena situation in the New York City area is incredibly fascinating to me and how it's going to be a couple of years from now where here you got Madison Square Garden, this this famous arena that was the home office of the World Wrestling Federation for a very long time. And they just don't go there very often in part because it just became too expensive. But also you have all these other arenas in the area. They, They love themselves the Barclays because they did SummerSlam there for a lot of years in a row and they do the TV when they're in the New York area from there. There's the Nassau Coliseum, which is now NYCB Live, which is smaller now, but a much more bearable venue in terms of the seating bowl. Are there enough bathrooms? No. I went over that several episodes ago when I went to the Coliseum for the Bruins Islanders game on February 29th, which that was nice to be able to go to hockey games back then. And that this NHL return to play thing, maybe they can like fly me into the hub city and have me be like the one person in the stands. Kind of like how you need a witness when you get married at the courthouse. Maybe, maybe I could be that guy. I don't know. And on this MSG show, as one of the dark matches, I get, I guess you would call it, there's a nice little hook. And a special matchup just for you folks attending live at the Garden on the 22nd, a triple threat match for the World Wrestling Federation title. Brett the Hitman Hart, Shawn Michaels, and The Undertaker will all be there. Plus, a, a huge over-the-top rope battle royal in which the stakes could not be any higher. I don't know why Kevin Kelly is being so circumspect about the entire thing, but that Brett versus Shawn Michaels versus Undertaker match, I am surprised to report that it actually happened as a dark match after the taping. WWF World Champion Bret Hart defeated The Undertaker and European Champion Shawn Michaels, subbing for Steve Austin, so I guess it was a different plan originally, by pinning Michaels after The Undertaker hit the tombstone on Michaels, but was pulled out of the ring by the interfering Hart Foundation. So, interesting, Shawn doing a job for Bret, albeit not on TV. And I guess this would have been before the Raw airing live on the USA Network. That battle royal where the stakes could not be higher what it was and the graphic on the screen said so winner would get a wwf title shot the next msg show well the brooklyn brawler won a 20-man battle royal to earn a world title shot during the november 15th return date other participants included los bariquas doa truth commission brian christopher scott taylor the headbangers blackjack windham and blackjack bradshaw among others it's kind of a weird thing it's all tag guys it's like well what are we trying to accomplish here and yes it was a steve lombardi versus Shawn michaels match on the november show as promised which i remember in brett's book he was talking about well i would drop the title to the brooklyn brawler at msg if it means not having to drop it to sean in montreal but clearly steve lombardi wwf champion was not going to uh come to pass i guess but yes it sean michaels did defeat the brooklyn brawler in about 15 minutes with the super kick after interference from china and distraction from triple h brawler came to the ring to the tune of frank sinatra's new york new york now, nothing against Steve Lombardi. He's perfectly good at getting his ass kicked, but I can't even imagine what a match is like. I guess he would have been the babyface. He probably would have been getting his ass kicked for most of it. But a 15-minute match with Steve Lombardi, I mean, that's a that's a little much even for, like, MSG house shows 1986. So we go to our next bout. 
And you're probably wondering, well, what's the point of having Shawn Michaels versus Steve Lombardi on a house show? Well, I would answer that with, what's the point of having a light heavyweight division in the World Wrestling Federation at this point? As you get Steve Casey taking on Jerry Lynn. This is Steve Casey. This is not Scott Casey, the gigolo from 88 Survivor Series, because all wrestling comes back to that point. Like, why should I care about this? They have a division, and they don't even have a freaking title for it yet. Like, that tournament's not going to be decided until December. And yeah, Jerry Lynn, very good professional wrestler, ECW mainstay later in the decade, eventually would kind of become one of their top guys by default. I think it's more of a telling you how much ECW would fall in rather than Jerry Lynn ascending, but I have nothing against the guy. We get a quick start as JL goes over the top to the floor, which goes from the top rope to the floor on a dive. The problem is, yes, it's this high-flying, light heavyweight action, except for the fact that Savio Vega already did that on this very show, which is a one-hour program. So it kind of takes away from Jerry Lynn doing the exact same thing. And he gets clotheslined on the top rope uh, as he's trying to get back into the ring. A crucifix gets a one count for Jerry Lynn as he counters off an Irish whip. Casey apparently was trained by Les Thatcher. That factoid was thrown in there. This is how little of a shit I give about Steve Casey. I'm not even like looking up anything about him because I just don't care. It's like the light heavyweight division in WWF in 1997. I think I said something about that in my rant at the beginning. I don't know. I didn't write it all down. That was that was totally off script, by the way. I'm not trying to be Brian Pillman, but who cares about the light heavyweight division unless it's Great Sasuke versus Taco Michinoko in the summer? And even then, they were spamming basement, basement drop kicks to, to look cool. So that's my critique of their work. As Casey gets caught going up to the top rope and then ends up getting crotched or something. He's kind of laying on the top rope. So Jerry Lynn takes advantage, hits a DDT, taking... Casey down from the top rope gets the one, two, three. So it's a perfectly fine match. It only lasts about two minutes, which is fine because I don't give a crap about anything that went on in this one. They are six of the greatest World Wrestling Federation superstars of all time. Now you can own a piece of a legend with these one-of-a-kind limited edition collector series trading cards available only from Stridex. Just look for specially marked boxes of Stridex at your local food, drug, and discount stores. There are three cards in every box of Triple Action Stridex. Collect all six cards. Stridex Triple Action Pads remove dirt, unclog pores, and dissolve oil. They're as effective on pimples as a stone-cold stunner. It's kind of neat to hear longtime Philadelphia Phillies play-by-play man Harry Callis doing wrestling stuff there and saying Stone Cold Stunner. I, I feel almost as good he- hearing that, or you know, just as good, as the Gary Thorne, the Baltimore Orioles announcer on Masson doing the WrestleMania rewinds that are on the network. And of course, they don't do any of those anymore because really normal people don't give a crap about anything that happened past, like, I don't know, WrestleMania 17 this point like imagine like a wrestlemania rewind like oh let's go back to remember what happened with bray wyatt versus randy orton at wrestlemania 33 wasn't that freaking awesome oh my goodness yeah i just but harry Callis, man that guy had a legendary voice and unfortunately like i can't help but think of the circumstances of his death he died the i think it was opening day of the philly season after 
they won the world championship in 2008. So I think it was in the day they got the rings in 2009. He, he's certainly a legendary voice, and you could hear him on a lot of NFL films at the time. I know he does one of the American, I think he does like the 2001 Patriots film. Like I just hear his voice. So Super Bowl 36, I think it is. Like and a Super Bowl steeped in passion and patriotism. The team flying highest was red, was wearing red, white, and blue. Yeah, Harry Callis, a hell of an announcer. Also ads for Castrol, Starburst, and Skittles, which I know will come as a great surprise to you. But also, NFL Game Day 98. Because back in those days, they didn't have a freaking monopoly, hand a freaking monopoly to the Madden series, which basically means that ever since that happened, the like Madden 08 and what, whatever it's been since then, they don't have to try anymore because there's no competition because there, nobody else has a license to use the team names or the players' names. Before releasing NFL Game Day 98, we asked Robert Brooks to check it out. Do you like the graphics? The graphics are tight. Go to the house, to the house, to the house. You see it? Really good. Yeah. Like, you like that, yes? Touchdown! All the way. Uh, <laughs> come on, man. Hey, that's, that don't show my breakaway speed. Well, I would never say that you lost a step. What? It's uh, <clears throat> the numbers. I'm not sure what Robert Brooks was expecting. Maybe they got him confused with Billy Brooks like I used to. Billy Brooks is a receiver for the Colts back in the days who went to Boston University, which is uh, extremely rare for a football player. But in 97, he came, he was injured in 96. He missed the whole second half of the season. The Packers won the Super Bowl without him. He comes back in 97, has the best year of his career after doing this commercial. But then in the playoffs, he's more or less a no-show. Seven catches over three games, including the Super Bowl, for only 73 yards and no touchdowns. I don't know what happened there. If Green Bay was focusing on running the ball, whatever, I know that the Super Bowl was a pretty exciting game against Denver, 31-24. I remember being really pissed off that Elway finally won his Super Bowl, and then somebody, like, flipped out at me at, at BU. Let's, let, let's just say my relations with other people weren't particularly great back then. So anyway, Triple H versus The Undertaker, part two out of four billion, I think, at this point. As I'm now realizing that the Friday night main event, as I said, was Jim Ross and Doc Hendricks, Michael Hayes. I don't know what the hell they were calling them, like I said before. But it's a little slice of 1986 UWF in 1997 WWF. So I'm not going to say that's the reason why it was good, because this is pretty short-lived. You Triple H and Undertaker, and I, I'm just doing one of those things where I'm thinking about the passage of time and how these guys were on opposite sides at Crown Jewel 2018. You know that memorable pay-per-view that they did uh, right after that journalist got murdered? I think that was 2018, but uh, anyway, it was, yeah, it was November of 2018, and Shawn Michaels making his big comeback at Triple H versus The Undertaker at K, but I just want to focus on the two guys in a 28-minute match in Saudi Arabia where I think Shawn Michaels got hurt. Somebody got hurt. I think Triple H actually got hurt too. But they're all old men, for God's sakes. I don't know what their exact ages are. But let's think about it here. Like, that's 21 years after this match 
is taking place. So let's picture dudes from 1976 Worldwide Wrestling Federation appearing on this Friday night's main event or on this episode of Shotgun. Who wants to see Spiros Arion take on Billy White Wolf in the opener on Shotgun Saturday night? I mean, I would because it would be really freaking hilarious to see General Adnan back in his old Native American gimmick. And also, to see Spiros Arion outside of the 1970s would be quite a sight considering that he retired in 1979. Although, he's only, at the time, he would have only been 56 or 57 years old, which I think puts him at about the age Ric Flair was when WWE finally told him, you know, you, you got to put a stop to this. I guess he was 59 at the time. And Adnan, Billy White Wolf, whatever, whatever you want to call him, would have only been 58 in 1997. And that's a guy who main evented every single WWF pay-per-view that he ever appeared on. So don't laugh at the notion of General Adnan coming back as Billy White Wolf in 1997. I mean, that's what people want to see. The guys who were famous 21 years earlier. Now you say, well, why didn't you just pick Bruno or Ivan Putski or somebody who was bigger in 1976? Because General Adnan is funnier, and I'm trying to entertain you. But, uh, you know, the inability of especially WWE, and yeah, they cash in a lot on nostalgia, and, and that's all well and good. I mean, th that's what this podcast effectively is, although it would be useful for them if they, I don't know, cared more about the here and now, but th th there's an unwillingness to create new stars, and we all know why that is. It's because they did it with Brock Lesnar, and then he left, and then they were left with nothing. So rather than create new stars, we just kind of have to make the brand the star, and everything is sort of wishy-washy, with the exception of John Cena, who is a freaking icon and will never get the respect that he deserves, quite frankly, in my mind. Anyway, I don't. despite everything that I just said, I don't have a problem with this particular match in general, with the exception of you kind of... It's one of those deals where you know what the finish is going to be, and they're kind of telegraphing it, as well on the commentary going in where well Shawn Michaels is in the building and, and where's you know and you got China at ringside like okay thanks why don't you just tell us like that like why don't you just give away the ending of the movie Rosebud is his sled it was his sled from when he was a kid there, I just saved you two long, boobless hours. Just spitballing, I can't believe WWE Studios didn't do a remake of Citizen Kane and, class, and cast Glenn Jacobs in the role of Charles Foster Kane. It, fe it feels like something that they would have done at some point in time. And they probably would have released it on May 19th, I think. Anyway, why don't I forget about all that? The entrances for this match clocked in at about 3 minutes and 30 seconds, which I found amusing for like a regular weekly television show with these two guys and knowing how long their stuff is in more recent vintage, especially, you know, the, the Triple H runtime for WrestleMania matches is kind of infamous, but the Undertaker entrances, that was one good thing about that Boneyard match is that the entrance didn't take too long. So, you know, you just get it right underway as Triple H, who's still under Hunter Hearst Helmsley at this point, is avoiding, he avoids Undertaker and then he scores with some rights in the corner, but... Taker isn't having any of that shit, so he reverses it, picks Hunter up, moves him into the corner, and hits him with a bunch of right hands, and then does the lift up into the two-handed choke where he lifts 
Hunter Hearst Helmsley up. I'm going to say 1997 Undertaker, and I've probably said this before on the podcast, but I'll, I'll say it again because, you know, it's my freaking show, and I've done 170 of them, and I don't, I don't know what the hell I've said. I don't even know what the hell I said at the beginning of this show. All I know, I was really pissed off, but 1997 Undertaker is my favorite one, and I think part of it might be I like where the character evolved to, where he was a little bit more human. I also like that he was a championship contender rather than just facing the monster of the week, monster of the month, whatever the hell, you know, there was no giant Gonzalez or washed up King Kong Bundy. You know, he, he's part of the mix with everybody else. And it's kind of, nice. yeah, he got a title shot in 96 against Brett at the Royal Rumble, but he didn't feel like he had any chance of actually winning it. So it, it just felt different. It felt like a callback to the earlier days of like late 1991 where he was in that picture but of course we all know how this where this match is going even though china's already at ringside we're gonna have somebody else eventually join but I, <laughs> the, the way they refer to ravishing rick rude who is making company with hunter hurst Helmsley, china and Shawn michaels they're, they're not quite degeneration x they're pre-degeneration x pre-generation x uh, I, don't, I don't know what you'd call them but I like the way JR is talking about it. Well, as Doc mentioned, we know Shawn Michaels is here. We know that the insurance man, Ravishing Rick Rude, is here. You just got to wonder what could be in store as this match progresses for The Undertaker. Or are we reading too much into it, Doc? I don't know. I, I just don't think so. But I think that was a mistake by The Undertaker going out to the floor. And now here comes Helmsley to capitalize. Rick Rude is the insurance man, which I know is a wink and a nod to the Lloyds of London insurance policy they've been collecting on for a little over three years at this point. But I, I keep thinking of Rick Rude as being like the State Farm agent in that goddamn commercial that just will not stop airing with, oh, what are you wearing, khakis? First of all, why the hell is the guy calling his insurance agent at three in the morning? Like, why is it that big of a deal where like, I got I to gotta get him on the phone right now? Like, I've literally never felt compelled to do that. But I love I love if Rick Rude was the State Farm agent, like, but he only takes calls from, like, the women in the family. Like, what are you wearing? What are you wearing? I'm wearing airbrushed tights. <laughs> what I'd like to have right now is for you to stop fucking calling me at 3 in the morning. <laughs> oh, Rick Rude. Yeah. We, we, we lost him too soon. Of course, 18 months from this point, he's going to be dead, which actually it's 20 months. So I'm cut him a little break as Triple H does end up on the floor. But then when he gets back in, he catches Undertaker on his way back in. Then Triple H puts his head down, a cardinal mistake for a ring veteran, allowing the Undertaker to regain some control. And sure enough, here comes the insurance man, Rick Rude, on his way to the ring in a brown suit. Not exactly the greatest looking thing for him, but, uh, you know, he's not really playing up the ravishing gimmick. And just seeing Rude there with The Undertaker is kind of funny because those guys never crossed in 1990. Rude is out the door right before Undertaker gets there. So, I, I don't know. It's one of those things that I always think of. Like, oh, yeah, they were in the same promotion in the same year. But they never met up because there's like this three or four week gap when one guy left and then the next guy showed up. So you get an ad break and it's the same old crap 
for the commercial. So just go right back to the match. Reversal of an Irish whip. And The Undertaker puts his head down. A cardinal mistake for a ring veteran. As Triple H hits a knee because a lot of his offense is knee-based at the time. And it made me wonder, has The Undertaker, in 30 years of World Wrestling Federation action, has he ever has he ever done a backdrop? I'm, I'm just thinking of that. It's like I always talk about the Tito Santana trying to do a sunset flip on Andre at the 88 Survivor Series because everything comes back to that. But Andre doing a backdrop is funny. But I don't remember Undertaker ever doing a backdrop. It's just very, very strange. He hits a forearm off the second rope, Triple H does, and that gets a two count, but kind of a powerful kick out corner whip by Helmsley but he runs into a boot in the corner Undertaker follows up with a clothesline and I'm, I'm kind of taken by the fact that the crowd is rather quiet I know it's you know below a sellout at the Rosemont Horizon but it's just really strange it, was this period not as hot as I remember it being uh, or, or maybe it's just the crowd or maybe it's just because the crowds were hot in Canada and they did a lot of taping up there in the summer of 1997. That, that's probably what's really burned in my brain as Undertaker grabs the arm and twists it. And I'm waiting for him to do old school. And he finally does after kind of like a delay of 45 seconds and walks the middle rope. Then he hits the running Hulk Hogan leg drop. But because he is not Hulk Hogan, that doesn't finish. That only gets a two count as Rick Rude and China each get up on the apron and now i'm wondering is this wrestlemania 8 all over again and they botched it and it was the run-in was supposed to take place right at the leg drop but anyway he undertaker runs over grabs rude who is untouchable per his insurance policy and this leads to Shawn michaels running in with a chair for the inevitable finish of this match a dq on hunter so the undertaker is victorious now china uh, makes me very happy by tossing Earl Hebner out of the ring. He didn't land on his head, unfortunately. That probably would, would have saved Bret Hart a lot of trouble. Like one of the other officials would have had to pull that whole Survivor Series business off. And Sean is wearing you know, his finest black mesh shirt, which honestly, if, if your eyesight ain't that good, he looks way more like Christian, like, like Latter-day Christian. But Undertaker breaks free of the triple team and drives them all away. And now China is holding these officials at bay. Oh, come on. The Undertaker has been busted open from ear to ear by Shawn Michaels. And now look at this heinous attack. Looks like bottom of the night. Oh, three, two, kill. Oh. The Undertaker broke free. And when it's one-on-one, -on -one, Shawn Michaels wants nothing to do with the man from the dark side. Uh-oh, look out. Wait a minute. So Gerald Briscoe just got choke slam. And another security guard. Choke slam out and in. The Undertaker is striking anything and anybody that moves. And now he means business. And look at brave Shawn Michaels. Well, this is The Undertaker. So at least we can be rest assured that they are pure strikes rather than the impure strikes you might get from some of the other phonies in the World Wrestling Federation at this time. They close the show with more hype for the pay-per-view, ground zero, in your house. They don't have to mention that Austin is going to be there again. They say he's out of the tag match, but they run down the entire card. 
from Pillman and Goldust all the way to Brett and the Patriot, which is announced after Sean and Undertaker, which is what went on last, despite not being the world title match. Brilliant, I have to admit, while I do not like Shawn Michaels at all, it was some brilliant political positioning on his part. Not unlike Bill Clinton in 1996 signing a welfare reform bill that he probably didn't want to in order to get reelected, but that's just the way American politics has been for the last 28 years, I'd say. So that is it for WWF New York, WWF Shotgun Saturday Night, what, whatever the hell this is, September 6, 1997. On the Sportscasters, it's Steve Bennett. He is joined by basketball author and now podcaster Jack McCallum. He's got a new podcast out, the, the Dream Team Tapes, I think it's called where it's all about that book that he wrote several years ago that's actually on my reading list coming up very, very soon since I've been reading all these basketball books, including an earlier one by McCallum that he wrote in the early 90s called Unfinished Business on the 1990-91 Boston Celtics, who finished 56 and 26 lost in the second round to Detroit but that book was a healthy reminder that yeah Larry Bird was not infallible Kevin McHale was willing to talk to anybody who would listen and D Brown was really freaking cool and got totally mistreated in this town by uh, you're not gonna I hope you're sitting down for this but a policeman in Wellesley uh drove D Brown to the pavement and had him in handcuffs thinking that he was a bank robber because it a description was of a black man who had robbed a bank in that town and they just said they just arrest the first black guy that they they found that's pretty shameful stuff but d brown he he was so freaking cool back in the day way cooler than brian shaw who totally sucked even though he went on to a lengthy career with the lakers and other teams like walking out on the celtics in the middle of a contract to go play in italy f that guy I didn't particularly care for his game all that much. Now, on the Our Vantage Point podcast, Drum Rod and Michael Quinn, they're looking at All-Star Wrestling. For I don't know if these are on the network, but going all the way back to September of 1975, which uh, that that's definitely Spiro's Arion territory, and I think that's more than enough Spiro's Arion references for one wrestling podcast in the year 2020. I still can't believe that guy retired before the age of 40. It's, it's just so weird. He retired in 1979. I, don't, I, I always think about like wrestlers who retired in like 1983. Like, well, would they have made more money? I mean, I guess they would have to go to WWF, but you know, you would have made a lot of money in Crockett as well if you hung around into the 80s. So be a deer and give Greens Valentine a review on iTunes, Apple Music. I see a couple of them have gone up. I think it's like it says 76 reviews now when I checked earlier today. Five stars is definitely appreciated. It provides what is known as social proof that you're listening to and enjoying this podcast. You might not enjoy what I had to say earlier on, but like that, like the guy in the 1984 t- made-for-TV movie in Canada, Hockey Night, kept saying, the, the, the announcer, Bum Johnson. I'm sorry, but that's the way I feel. Yeah, that is the way I feel. But speaking of Canada, I do want to thank Kelly Nelson. 
So this is the last episode of Greetings from Allentown that'll be on the Pro Wrestling Only feed. He was the one who brought me in three years ago onto the feed where you have perhaps listened to me every Thursday for the last three years. I do want to thank him for the promotion. Everybody else who has helped promote the show over the last three years in the PWO family, whether it be the other podcasters on the network, I know, I know who you are, and uh, it's it's lovely that we were promoting each other's shows, even though some of them don't promote other people's shows. But I'm am just gonna leave it at that, okay? I'm just gonna let that hang out there and uh, let let you figure out what the hell I'm talking about. But anyway. I don't know what the hell I'm going to do for next week's show. Maybe I should just take a freaking break from this for a little while because clearly I, I, I'm not I'm not the biggest fan of, of wrestling right now. But who knows? I mean, I might just you know, find something in my YouTube recommendations of like, oh, you know, here's a haircut angle from Southeastern in 1982. And I'll be like, okay, well, I'll do something like that. Of course, that's not one of the Power Five promotions, and I got to be really inspired for that. I have seen some 1987 Stampede go up there, but they're over an hour long, and it's really hard to watch. But I mean, I could do one of the GFA lives on that. Me and Keith, he can watch Stampede. I don't know how much of it he's actually seen of that. So I don't know if that would be the best idea. But anyway, uh, I'm just going to leave it at that. Thank you very much for listening. And tune in next time for another exciting episode of Greetings from Allentown. And that's the bottom line. And as far as I'm concerned, this is over with, so get the hell out of here.